Good to see you. Uh, my name's Joel. If you're new in the church, so glad to be speaking to you. If you are joining us at Shoreham uh, or the Clarendon Villas in Hove or the Marina, um, we are going through the Apostles' Creed this term, and we've got to uh, the point where it says that Jesus rose again on the third day. On the third day, he rose again. So we're talking about the resurrection. We talk about the resurrection every Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday in one sense, but, but obviously doing the whole sermon about it makes it a little bit more like Easter. Doing Easter in October might seem a little strange, but I quite like the idea of invading autumn with spring. Um, the, the way that the year works out can, can seem like a kind of constant tennis match where you've got this, these evenly matched players in, in juice. Have you ever watched one of those Wimbledon matches that go on for hours and hours where they, there's this tie break and they just keep taking games off each other? And it goes on for hours. And I suppose some people's view of, of reality is a bit like that. You've got life and you've got death and they kind of punch it out through, through the millions of years. Uh, it, it's even punched out in the year with spring kind of launching this kind of global life fest uh, across the cosmos as life just springs up and spring says, take that. Uh, life is here. Um, we, we're going to you know, just take over the world. We're going to generate life everywhere. And then autumn comes in and says, uh, we're back. <laughs> and uh, death has its way. And you kind of see it in, even in newspaper columns, the births column, the, the deaths column. You see it in, in all kinds of uh, markers in society to remind us of this tussle that seems to, to go on seemingly eternally, this cycle. Life, death, life, death. Who's going to win? Who's, who's going to get us out of advantage this one? Advantage death. Advantage life. Advantage death. Advantage life. It's the kind of constant tennis game. Well, the, the whole point of Easter, I suppose, could be that God has acted to break us out of the cycle. Uh, that's one of the things that makes Christianity so different. It, it dares to say there is a story, there is a winner, there is an ending to the story, there is a flow, there is a goal, it's going somewhere. It's not just two equals fighting it out, but there is actually a victor. Someone finally serves the ace and the crowd goes crazy and the winner lifts the trophy and it's being won. That's Easter. That's, that's the resurrection. That's, that's Christianity. And I want us to look at that today and see how, how it affects our lives 20 centuries later. We're going to go to a, a familiar set of words in the New Testament to kick us off. They're in one of Paul's letters. Uh, the first letter that we have of his to the church in Corinth and I'm going to read from chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, perhaps you turn with me to verses 1, and 1 to 11 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, um, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you 
unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by the Holy Spirit you would apply it to our lives today to bring glory to your Son and change to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, a friend of mine uh, and I were, were, were visiting a, a school uh, to share something about Christianity with the students. We had an opportunity to talk about the Christian faith to a, a large school and a large number of, 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 of boys, as it happens. It was mostly a boys' school at the time. And we talked about the resurrection in, in one of the sessions. We talked about why we believe in the resurrection. And we gave reasons for it. We gave some of the historical um, argument for it, some of the evidence, some of the reasons why it's reasonable, that it makes more sense than the alternative theories that have been occasionally uh, offered for what happened on Easter Sunday. And uh, we were going for it, trying to explain it. But it was interesting to us that the chaplain of the school, who had kind of greeted us and welcomed us in and was supposed to be sort of looking after us, during the lunch break, he said to us, it's a pity that you're talking about the resurrection. And we were a little confused. and thought, you know, Why would it be a pity? And why are you a chaplain if you think it's a pity that we're talking about the resurrection? He said, well, I think it's just such a sort of marginal side issue. It's secondary. It's not, it's not that important whether Jesus rose from the dead. We could have Christianity without the resurrection. These myths about corpses coming back to life, it's, it's, not, it's kind of childish. Uh, we, can have, we can have the good side of Christianity without bothering with that. And uh, we, we made one or two responses to his comments, as you might imagine. But it, it's, it stayed with me as a, as a memory because it's a good example of actually a fairly prevailing view of the world, of religion, even Christianity, held by some, even people with chaplains, collars on. Uh, you'd expect different, but, but I'm afraid it's, it's sometimes been the case that people have rather despised the resurrection, been a little unsure of it, been embarrassed of it even, um, and not wanted it to be so central. The problem is you can't really do that to Christianity without losing Christianity. It's, it's, it is central for sure. And, and if you don't have the resurrection, you, you have to have a different approach to the problem of death entirely. You have to see Jesus as ultimately a kind of well-meaning loser 
but maybe losers are good. Maybe Christianity is yay losers. That's what it ends up being. Jesus is a kind of failed cult hero who dies, and a lot of his followers die, and that's a good thing because they're kind of dying, and maybe death is kind of our friend, and it's good, and it's good to sort of submit yourself to the sad story of the world and humbly resign yourself, and that's kind of the message of Christianity. It's kind of prevailing goodness, goodness against the odds, goodness against the sorrows of nature, and in a strange way, we kind of live on. We live on in the memories of our family and friends. Uh, we sort of uh, come back to life in their imaginations. That's, that's the offer that's been made. But uh, I don't think it's a very realistic one. I think Woody Allen was once asked, would you like to live on after you die in the minds and memories of your friends and family? He said, no, I'd like to live on in my apartment. <laughs> that's helpful realism. Death is either death <laughs> or not. And no matter how much we dress it up with kind of religious floral language, it stays being death. It stays being bad news, very, very bad news. We talked last week about how Jesus was victorious over the bad news, victorious over the last enemy of death. But the resurrection comes in the Bible as God's final vindication if you like, God's stamp of approval, God saying, it's done, it's done, <laughs> my son won, and if you want proof, here you are, three days later, he's back. God raises him up as if to say, I'm, I'm satisfied with what he has achieved, this has been accomplished. It's, it has to be a physical resurrection, it has to be a complete defeat of death, or we have nothing to offer really, no message of power or hope whatsoever. But the message that the Christian gospel has given to the world is a message of power and hope. No question. Christianity, as, as uh, Professor C.F.D. Maul said a couple of generations ago, Christianity has ripped a hole in history the size and shape of the resurrection. And he says, what does the secular historian propose to fill that hole with? The, the fact is, people have tried to fill the hole. We can't get away from some very blunt, awkward facts. If, if we try to say, well, let's boil down to what we can really know through careful historical research, what happened on Easter Sunday, we're going to have to accept one or two key facts. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was buried, three days later his tomb was empty. Now, what is that about? What is that about? And various people have come up with theories over the years, ranging from the sublime to the ridiculous. But they've been held by some, seriously. People have, you know, from, from I guess even things like the, the Da Vinci Code right through to, uh, you know, some scholars trying to present this sort of swoon theory that Jesus passed out on the cross and came back to life in, or came back to consciousness in the tomb. Uh, his disciples stole the body. Uh, the, the authorities hid the body that the women who came to the tomb to check on the body went to the wrong tomb. These theories are many and fascinating, but you learn nothing from them except the fact that people are ingenious at wriggling. People will try to find. We, we as the human race, will try to get off the hook. We will, we will look, won't we, don't you think, for reasons why... 
it's not quite so dangerous as there being a real God who comes back to life. Let's let's not go there, because then we have to face other things. But we instead would go for theories that, frankly, don't really add up. And that's why, through history, one of the other fascinating things is the number of historians and, and journalists and investigators who've become Christians on the basis of investigating the facts doing the research, looking at the sources, looking at what history can tell us about Easter and becoming Christians, including some people who did the research as an act of skepticism. I mean, I could think one example at the top of my head, a Harvard law professor in the 19th century, uh, Simon Greenleaf, who, who was uh, uh, you know, height of his career and height of his profession, was, was challenged by some students. Why don't you use your legal skills to argue against the resurrection and prove that it didn't happen? And so he did and became a Christian. And that, has, I mean, there are, I could name several other examples. Because the, the alternative theories are all problematic, they fall apart, they don't make as much sense as what the Bible presents in simple fact, that on the third day he rose again. That makes way more sense. Now, many will say, but it can't make sense because no one will come to life from death. Life doesn't just happen. It's impossible. We don't believe in the resurrection because we don't believe in that miracle of life just happening like that. But I have to say, if if that's where we're going, we're we're still tying ourselves up in knots, aren't we? When when I say, well, life can't come from death, life can't come from non-life, I'm saying something patently false because everyone in this room, everyone in this city thinks that life came from non-life. Everyone does, whether you're a Christian or, or what. If you're an evolutionist, if, you, if you're a, a totally secular Darwinian saying, well, uh, 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 I don't believe in any kind of creator, any kind of designer, you've still got to face the reality that life just began. That's kind of similar to the claim of Easter Sunday. You're, you're saying, well, no, I don't believe in Easter because I'm a secularist, because Jesus, you know, he can't just, life can't just happen. But you do think life just kind of happened. And in fact, you think that it happened by itself. You think that no one was involved. It was just a total accident. So, so I've got to say, I think, I think everyone is kind of standing on thin ice when, they, when we offer our alternative theories. We, we're, we're not being perhaps as real when we do so, but perhaps there's a reason for it. I suppose there's, there's a certain honesty, to be fair. When we say... I, I won't accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I'll try and find another explanation for what may have happened. Perhaps there's a kind of noble honesty in that, at least in as much as it, it's, it's, it seems better than what many people, I think, say in Brighton. Many of us will say, yeah, I, I think Jesus rose from the I, Yeah, I believe in resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, I do. I reckon if you did a survey in, in Brighton and Hove today and said, how many of you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you asked the question properly and just, just said it in a very sort of, very kind of simple way, do you believe that Jesus Christ was dead? I reckon a large chunk of the public would say, yeah, I do. But I honestly think that the, 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 the same answerers would probably change their answer if made to accept 
the impact that should make on their lives. If Jesus is really alive from the dead, it changes everything. If, if the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead hasn't shocked you, hasn't got you at some point in your life to reflect on everything and change the way you see everything, I don't believe that you do believe in the resurrection. I think you're just parroting it. I think you're regurgitating it without reflection. The resurrection is either something that, as Romans chapter 10 says, you believe in your heart or you don't believe. If I believe it, I believe in my heart. I, I believe it to be true, and because it's true, it changes my life. I mean, think about it. Is, is he really alive? Is Jesus alive? Did he really get out of the tomb on Easter Sunday? Did he really? If he did, it changes everything. My, my dad was not from a Christian home at all. And uh, he grew up totally secular, totally pagan here in Brighton, uh, just living a very non-Christian life. Until one day his sister, his older sister, came back from London having been uh, listening to a, a preacher called Billy Graham. She came back very excited because her life had been changed. And she sat my dad down and she said, I've become a Christian. And he said, what do you mean you've become a Christian? We're all Christians. We come, we, this is back in the 1900s, um, <laughs> and it was a long time ago. And uh, in a time when people in England were probably even more likely to think they were Christians because they grew up in England, yeah? Because these days that's a bit less the case, but certainly it would have been there. Even Brightonians would have thought, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm from Brighton. So he said, yeah, I'm a Christian. She said, she said uh, uh, what it meant. She explained to him that she'd become a Christian. She didn't used to be. She was trying to help him to see that he wasn't one. And, and she said to him, do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? And he said, yeah. And she said to him, that means he's alive now. And my dad says, when she said that, he started to sob. He suddenly realized that his life could never be the same again. Because he understood that means everything he said is true. That means that he is the Lord of everything. That means one day I'm going to stand before him and offer an explanation for my life. He sobbed. He was shocked. He was shaken by the fact and reality of a resurrected God-man. That's what we have in, in Easter. It changes everything. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the fact that if he's raised... He is Lord. And I want to talk about if he's raised, he is wise. And if I want to talk about if he's raised, he's ours. But let me just start with what I've been saying. If he's raised, he's Lord. It, it, it's surely the ultimate discussion finisher, conversation closer. You know, as a preacher, I, I, I have to accept the fact that part of my role is to kind of finish the conversation. I've got, to, I've got to declare to you, it's over. There's a winner. The match is done. Game, set, and match. Jesus is risen. 
It's not, it's not up for grabs. It's not up for discussion. Right up until the point, right up until match point being decided, you can make bets. You can discuss. You can, you can critique. You can say who's playing better, who's playing worse, who's got the best chance, who's got the best serve, who's got the best response and best delivery. You can do all of that. But when the umpire says game, set and match, it doesn't matter what you have to say anymore. Who cares about your opinion? But we tend to treat the subject of religion and philosophy and the meaning of life as something which is all about our opinions, as if our opinions make the world go round, as if our opinions are so significant. And we sort of trade our ideas, and then we critique Christianity, we critique the Bible, we critique Jesus. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good, you know, this, this one's a good guy too. And he had some good ideas, and we should accept some of his ideas. Enough! If he's risen from the dead, just be quiet. I'm being serious. Sure, I'm just being sensible. I'm not being nasty. I'm trying to help you. Think about it. If he's risen from the dead, then everything else is relativized, including our preferences. So many of us, I know this is what I'm like. I spent years of my life, I still do in some ways, years of my life deciding on whether this book is reliable over whether or not I like it. So much of my life spent, oh, I don't really like that bit. I don't really, I don't really agree with this. I'm not sure about what it says about this issue. I'm not really sure what I, Jesus said this and this and this. And yeah, I, if he's risen, surely that changes the conversation at least. If he's risen, then, then he has authority. If, he, if he's risen, he gets to, to call the shots. If he's risen, he gets to say what goes. If he's risen, if he is. If he's not, then who cares? Who, who, what is the point if he's not risen? The whole thing is a waste of time. But if he is, then really ours is to listen to him, to, to honor him, to humble ourselves. Have you ever done that? Have you got to the point in your life where you've understood that the best thing you can do is listen to him? The, 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 the place that you belong is actually not on the throne of your life, not on the throne of the universe. The place you belong is, is submitted to the one who is on the throne because he's risen from the dead. And by the way, this is the way to investigate Christianity. If you're considering Christianity, and I'm sh I, I, I really long for the day when all of Brighton will consider Christianity. I long for the day when you will consider Christianity. If you're considering it, this is the way, the only way really to consider it. Is Jesus alive? That's it. All the other questions are secondary. Even questions like, is there a God? You might agree that there is one, but you've still got the wrong one. Who, who cares about that question? If, you don't, if, if Jesus is not alive, Christianity is done. This is the question. Is he raised? And if he is raised, how we need to respond to him. We need to see things surely in that light. Second thing, if he's, if he's risen, he is Lord. If he's risen, he is wise. He's, what do I mean by that? Well, it means that he's ultimately not the fool that he would have to be. If he hadn't risen 
then all of his all of his talk about the kingdom of God coming, all of his talk about loving one another and laying our lives down, it, it becomes foolishness, surely. It's a failure, it's a waste. It's, it, the, the, the Roman cross is the final word. And he is a fool. He's a nice fool, kind of a hippie fool, but he's a fool. If he's raised, he's wise. <laughs> he, was, he was wise all along. He was wise when he looked a fool. He was wise when they said he was a fool. He was wise when the whole world rejected him. He was wise when his friends rejected him. He was wise when his family rejected him. He was wise when he was betrayed. He was wise when the, the rulers of the age got exasperated with him. All along, when he looked like the biggest fool, the biggest loser in every stage of the process, he was wise. He was the wisest one in the room all along. That's a big wake-up call for us. It teaches us to certainly kind of set our trajectory more carefully. It teaches us to be a little bit more skeptical about what looks wise right now and what looks foolish right now. Surely. It teaches us to pay slightly less heed to who's got most followers, who gets most likes, who gets most approval ratings. These things, in the end, we've, we've surely discovered through Easter that they don't matter, ultimately. Ultimately, Jesus is proven wise against all opinion. Jesus was wise even at the worst stage, even at the point where no one could see what was going on, even at the worst point in the story, the darkest day there ever was. Literally, it went dark when Jesus was on the cross. It went dark, the whole of the area. It says there was, a, there was a, this kind of strange darkness that came over Jerusalem. Everything seemed dark emotionally and even physically. He's, he's dead. He's dying. We, we've lost. We're scattered. The cause has failed. The world makes no sense. My life is ruined because I followed this man. And, and life can... can can seem so utterly bewildering to us sometimes. We can follow Jesus and, and find life bewildering. Jesus, why are you taking me into a life that's difficult and confusing? Why are you taking me into the darkness? I thought you were the light of the world. And you're taking me into the darkness. You're taking me into the unknown. You're taking me into the confusing. Everything seemed utterly out of whack as he hung on the cross. But he was wise even then. He was sovereign. He knew what he was doing. It's never, ever been untrue. He has always been wise. And this is sustaining to me and to you. This is what we need, right? To go through the darkest times of life and know Jesus rose. He rose indeed. He rose again. Indeed, he did. And I go through Good Fridays, but to know Easter Sunday is coming. It changes everything. To, to be able to say, like one of my favorite writers says, that if God was sovereign at Calvary, he is sovereign everywhere. 
There's things that happen in history. There are perplexing things. There are horrible things. There are shameful things. There are wicked, wicked things that happen that will cause you to think, is God sovereign there? Is God in charge there? Surely if he was in charge at Calvary, he is in charge everywhere. He's in charge in your life. Now, he knows what he's doing. He does. He knows his way. He knows his plan. He understands what he's doing. And this is why Christianity is so importantly against the kind of vanity of a kind of a false silly religion which, which makes out that, 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 well, he might have risen, he might have not risen, but we don't need to know whether he rose or not. It's not good enough. Paul says so even in the chapter I read from earlier on when he says in, in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's a strong word in the Bible, vain. It means kind of instantly disappearing. It, it has no lasting meaning, no value. It's like a mist. It just goes, the old Hebrew word, hebel. It just, it's gone. That's, 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 that's the, the idea that Paul has when he says, life is like that if Jesus isn't risen. If Jesus isn't risen, then there's no meaning anywhere. Not just in church, anywhere at all there's no meaning. It's, it's just vanity. It's just vanity, vanity, vanity. But if he has risen, it changes our perspective. We can, we can see it from the angle of the end of this chapter where he says, therefore, in verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not hebel, it's not mist, it's not vanity. There's meaning to it. There's meaning to the times where it's hard work. There's meaning to the times where it's joyful. There's meaning to the times where you can't see what's going on. There's meaning in our lives. There's purpose, there's plan. There's an outcome to be awaited because Jesus has risen indeed. And this changes the way we see tragedy. Remember when uh, my son Hudson and I were watching the, the first Narnia film that came out, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And at the point where Aslan the lion dies, my son didn't know the story. He didn't know what was going to happen next. And he just turned to me, he's young enough to just speak from the heart. He just turned to me and said, this is a stupid film. And he's right. It's a stupid film, if that's the end of the story. It's a stupid life. It's a stupid book. It's all stupid. It's vain. It's stupid. But he has risen. And he's wise. So because he's risen, Jesus is Lord. Because he's risen, Jesus is wise. And thirdly, because he's risen, Jesus is ours. What I, what I mean by that is, well, we've been looking as we've gone through the creed quite often at the way that we as humans don't exist like pebbles on a beach, but more like leaves on a tree. You know, parts of a, a, a living thing. We're parts of one another and parts of a family, the human family. And uh, that's, that's something we can't get away from. We, we, we can't change that. Our destiny is shared with one another. But it's sadly true also that our destiny is, is ruined. 
as, as we're joined with one another, we're also joined to our representative, the first man who was our rep, uh, a fair and faithful rep, the first man, Adam, who plunged the human race away from God uh, into destruction. And we've been saying that's, that's kind of what we've picked up. That's what we've been born into. We've inherited that. But Jesus comes into the world, as we said when we talked about the virgin birth. He comes into the world as a new Adam. He comes in as a new representative. And let's put it like this. In the creed, we say that on the third day, he rose again. And the, the passage of scripture I read to you even from Paul's letter to Corinthians specifies that. And listen to the way he says it. This is interesting. He says, on the third day, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, what Paul means by that is the, the fact that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised, and raised on the third day was all in keeping with the prophecies of the Old Testament. All the things the Old Testament say uh, about Jesus, or the one who was going to come and save us, uh, they include things about the third day, rising on the third day. And you think, if you, if you know your Bible a bit, even a bit, you'll think, what is that talking about? Where does it say in the Bible that predicting that he will rise on the third day? And to be honest, it's, uh, it's not something that the, the, the Old Testament scriptures explicitly predict. Not in quite that way. But... The, the idea of the third day, the theme of the third day, is one of those kind of motifs. It's kind of one of those things that comes up a few times in the Old Testament. And in fact, it comes up in the first page of the Bible. When it talks about literally the third day of creation, as, as Genesis describes it, in its kind of uh, uh, you know, language that we can only use our imagination to kind of put, get to grips with. But it says this, Genesis 1, God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, this is verse 11, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, and it describes how it happened and it says, the Lord saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now what's that got to do with the resurrection? Well, it's, it's saying on the third day, life was brought about. It was the first breaking of life. Before the days one and two don't include that. But the first kind of organic life suddenly arrives as God decrees it on the third day. And it even specifies each different seed reproducing according to its own kind. Everything reproducing after itself. And that's what the human race has been doing ever since Adam. Adam uh, brought forth kids after his own kind, including us. You and me, we're after his kind, we're his kindred, which means that we carry his shame, we carry his guilt, we carry his propensity, his proneness, we carry his, the bad habits that we picked up from our father, the habit of sin, the habit of pride, the habit of making the universe about ourselves, the habit of worshipping anything except God, worshipping ourselves principally. These things are the, those things we've inherited from our kind, from the first seed, if you like, the first human seed. And when Paul talks about Jesus being raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, it seems that he may be thinking even of this third day idea. And I get that also from just a few verses later in the same chapter. He says this, in fact, in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus brought life on the third day, but a new life, a new seed. It's the seed born of a woman, even if you remember going back to the very place where God predicts to Eve that someone will be born of a woman, the virgin woman, would give birth to a, a new seed, new life, a new kind of humanity that would live perfectly, that would live in such a holy and completely God-centered, God-honoring way, joyfully, happily, peaceably, kindly, giving himself for others, not selfish, but pouring out his life for those in need, including me and you, we're the ones in need. This, this Jesus that was born to Mary was a completely different kind, a, a new man, a man that Adam was supposed to be and failed. Jesus became. And Jesus, on our behalf, lived the perfect life, died the death that we in Adam deserved, went into the tomb and left it there, left the curse, left the sin, left the guilt. It's buried there. It's gone forever. And having defeated the power of death and broken us from the chains of death and the fear of death, he is risen on Easter Sunday as the new commanding, authoritative champion and victor over all of his enemies, vanquishing them each one by one. Jesus, the new man, has risen, conquering sin and conquering death. And we, if we belong to him, are in him. We're in that, we're in that tree. That's the seed that's in us. We're in a new vine. We're in a new plant that just started on Easter, on the third day, new life began. And we belong to him, not to Adam, but to this new holy living one. We belong to the power of an indestructible life, as the book of Hebrews puts it. And surely, surely this changes everything for us. It puts us in such an extraordinary position. It means that he's like the needle that's pushed through the fabric and we're the thread that's coming behind him. Sure, we haven't got our resurrection bodies yet. We're all still going to die. But as soon as the return of Christ comes, as soon as he comes in his second coming, and we'll talk about that before the creed is finished, we will also be given our resurrection bodies. The ripple effect of Easter Sunday will finally reach us in its fullness. And we will be completely raised like him. The universe will be restored like him. Everything evil will be done away with and God will restore and recreate the heavens and the earth even as he recreated life in his son in the tomb on that morning of Easter. And so friends, this is our hope. This is, this is our confidence. Even though we live in between the times, we live between the lightning and the thunder, they're both the same thing, but one takes a little longer to reach us. You see lightning and then later you hear thunder. It's like that with Easter. It happened, but later we'll see the full effect of it. Not that that doesn't affect us now, because even now we are free. And this could be our fourth point. He is Lord. He is wise. He is ours. And we are free. Because, yeah, our bodies are still very much decaying. And mine is decaying quicker every year. 
I'm getting to my middle ages and I'm noticing it. We, we, as the human race, we feel the effect of Adam's fall even in our bodies. The decay and the, and the, the death that we succumb to are all products of our human terrible tragedy, the fall that took place to us in Adam. And so our bodies will die. But within us, what's been born inside us by the Holy Spirit is new life. That Jesus has brought about through his death and resurrection, our death and resurrection. Uh, we, we don't know it physically yet, but we know it spiritually for sure. If he died, we died with him. If he rose, we've risen with him. And this changes everything. It changes the way we can see ourselves. It certainly changes the way we might see our identity. If we, if we tend to think of ourselves as ultimately the slaves of sin, the slaves of bad habits, yeah? Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, let's be honest, we all do. We, we tend to see ourselves as the, make, the, the makeup of all kinds of hang-ups, failings, weaknesses, things in the past, fears about the future that define us and control us. Habits that we form that become addictions that we feel we can't control, that I, I can't defeat this thing. It's become who I am. It's the story of my life. It's, it's, it's who I am now. I'm a slave. That's completely, it's completely out of kilter with what happened to us. Yes, yes, to us on Easter Sunday. If it happened to him, it happened to us. He burst through the tomb. He burst out of death, death having done its worst to him, sin having done its worst to him. He died to its power, and so did you. So did you. This is what Paul explicitly says, and I'll close with this in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. See, it's easy to think like that as a Christian. Jesus died for my sin. That's good. I'm forgiven for my sin. But basically, I'm, I'm still really just a sinner. And that's all I'm going to ever be, just a sinner. Maybe he'll, one day he'll take me to heaven. But right now, I'm just, I'm just a slave. I'm glad he forgives me, but I'm really a slave. And Paul says, no, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Sure, there's coming a day, friends, when we will rise with him in a way that we can barely imagine right now. We'll have a new kind of freedom that we can hardly anticipate. We'll have new bodies. <laughs> we'll, we'll never even feel temptation to sin. We'll never feel self-pity. We'll never have to apologize again. We'll never look at the wrong stuff, think the wrong stuff. We'll never even want to. We'll never want to take stuff and touch stuff. and We'll never want to hurt people. The desire in us will only be for him and for what he sees as good. Only. Right now, yeah, we live in the waiting stage. We're waiting for our new bodies. We're waiting for full redemption. But that doesn't mean that what's happened inside us isn't the main part of it. We already have newness of life. 
And I believe that we can live as his children in way greater freedom than we probably know. And if you don't know this Jesus for yourself, maybe you could say, I actually feel like a slave most of the time. Maybe you feel a slave to guilt, a slave to habits, a slave to the past, a slave to stuff you know you shouldn't do. My urgent invitation to you, wherever you are today and whoever you are watching this, you need to come to the living one, come to Jesus. He is the meaning of history and he will give you life and hope and he'll deal even with the past. Let me just pray. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would use the powerful truth of the resurrection today to speak to us, to lift our heads, to give us hope, peace, joy, and for some of us to give us the new birth that we desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.